My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. The hit television show Seinfeld seems destined to be re-aired forever in syndication, which is welcome news for fans like myself, who've seen every episode countless times in the over 30 years since it first aired. Repeated viewings don't seem to diminish the laughs of the self-described show about nothing. A few weeks ago, what's considered a fan favorite episode was on again. The Soup Nazi. It's one of those seemingly too ridiculous to be true, yet could very well be episodes with larger-than-life characters and stupidity that have made the show so memorable for so long. One part of that episode that gets a bit lost as you're understandably focused on the abnormal behavior of a chef who's just a tad too obsessed about his soup is this relationship between Jerry and his girlfriend, Sheila, 
From the opening scenes, they're so very much in love that their lack of embarrassment at showing very public displays of affection drives Jerry's best friend, George Costanza, insane. Jerry and Sheila keep calling each other this annoying lover's name, Schmoopy. They sit on the same side of a booth together in a restaurant. They can't even be apart from each other for a single moment. And they get so lost in a kiss with one another, completely oblivious to where they might be, even while waiting online in order to order some soup. What makes Seinfeld such a hit show is that it, it takes relatable things and exaggerates them right up to those edges of what's between believable and unbelievable. While I've never heard a, a couple use the word schmoopy to each other before or ever since that episode, I do remember some former students who were dating using the word babe with each other with such equally annoying frequency, so it's very relatable. But among other things, this episode is poking fun at people who could be described as being lost in love. What's comical is seeing a 30-something-year-old Jerry acting like a teenager falling in love for the first time and looking somewhat ridiculous. But when someone encounters the sincerity of that emotion, genuine love, we know it's one of the most precious things that human beings can experience. And we see examples of it all around us. We see it in marriage, whether it's witnessing newlyweds in the joy and excitement of their wedding day at the dawn of their new lives together, or on the other end of the spectrum, as a couple has been married for decades, some of them helping one another up to communion at Mass arm in arm. They don't even have to say a word. You can see how they've lived and experienced and embraced every aspect of their vows, the good times, the bad, the sickness, the health, the richer and poorer for decades. The common bond between both couples is seeing how they can both be lost in love. We see it in parenthood, whether it's the unmatched happiness that a mother or father has when they first become parents for the first time, or the fulfillment of parents as they watch their last child take off to set off for college. And all these different examples, you see different moments and glimpses and witness how people can get lost in love. They seem undeterred by the, the world around them. That notion of getting lost in love kept coming to mind, reflecting and praying with today's gospel. This passage is a continuation from last week's gospel where Jesus began teaching on the importance of forgiveness, where he called his disciples to engage in the, the hard work of reconciliation with one another when disputes, when disagreements, when sins arise. Well, we pick up with the fact that Jesus no sooner had finished giving them this, this high call when Simon Peter, Jesus' right-hand guy, his rock, is there asking for a clarification. Namely, well, how far or how long or how deep does Jesus intend for all this to go? You can almost hear what's unspoken. We get it, Jesus. It's important not to hold grudges and that forgiveness and reconciliation is a big thing to you. What are you expecting? Like, what are the limits? How many times is enough? 
Peter's probably thinking he's being generous with his proposed seven times. Imagining Jesus is saying, oh yeah, that, that's good. That's the high ideal to strive for. He's not prepared for Jesus' answer first by saying 77 times. Where Jesus is twisting Peter's answer to make it near impossible to keep track of. But then he's looking at Peter and imagining that Peter might actually figure out a way to do it, getting an accounting form or something, and so he launches into basically a parable. And with this parable, biblical scholars tell us that when the first guy is said to have owed this inordinate sum of money to the point of jeopardizing not just his life, but his wife, his children, to a life of slavery, losing all their property. It's a, an extreme example. It'd be like saying he owes $100 million, a ridiculous sum that there's probably no hope of the guy ever being able to repay. What would possess a man to simply forgive that debt? Not working out a repayment plan, not trying to negotiate some arrangement or something. No, the guy who's caused this debt simply begs for mercy and he's completely forgiven. Our human sensibilities immediately are suspicious. Maybe it's just a Jersey thing. What's the angle? What's the catch? And seeing none, you can imagine that the man must be crazy or it's something else. Hearing the plea for mercy catches the one who has been treated unjustly's heart and soul. He recognizes that there is something of greater value, something more precious, something that maybe he too had experienced when he was down and out and felt there was no hope. When he had experienced despair and thought, there's no chance, there's no way out. Or maybe he experienced forgiveness but the only expectation was to live differently, to be merciful, to be generous, to get lost in love that had so lavishly been offered to him at some point. That's what Jesus is trying to, to get through Peter's and our sometimes thick heads. He not only hears Peter's question, but he can hear the machinations that are going on in his brain and his heart as he's looking at Peter and at the other 11. He knows that this is hard in real time, when it's not some nameless people in the parable, but when it's people that are far closer to home, maybe even right in that room. He knows Peter's aunt, brother Andrew can sometimes get on his nerves. He knows that Thomas and all of his questions can get annoying. He recognizes that Matthew, having been a tax collector, one who worked with the enemy-occupying force of Rome against his own fellow Jews, that Peter and the others might still be holding their tongues and that there might still be some lingering resentment and hostility there. He knows that when Judas does what he will do to Jesus, that the desire for vengeance might bubble up like a volcano ready to erupt in Peter. He also sees and knows that Peter, too, will suffer a catastrophic failure himself when he, too, will betray Jesus by denying he even knows him in his greatest hour of need. 
And it's then that the rage and anger that Peter could have towards others for these and all kinds of other infractions will probably pale in comparison to the rage and anger that he'll have towards himself. Which is why Jesus is asking them and us to go deeper. Forgive from your heart. Sometimes people can get hung up thinking that they need to allow themselves to get walked over and treated badly and happily taken, that that's what Jesus is talking about. But that's not what he's proposing at all. In the parable, the one who has taken advantage of the other recognizes he's done wrong and he asks for mercy. So there's an element of of recognizing and owning our mistakes and that need of repentance. But when that happens, just as it does for each and every one of us when we do an examination of our conscience, when we recognize our sins, when we go to confession and we lay them down in complete honesty and vulnerability before God in the sacrament of reconciliation, and when we're absolved, we instantly are completely washed clean. We get lost in the love of the God who sees us, who knows us most intimately and perfectly. Not only do we need that experience ourselves, but then what Jesus is talking about is that we're called to do the same. When someone apologizes to move past the hurts and injustices and to have compassion, when someone owns the hurt that they've caused and sincerely accepting that, and not simply reminding them and anyone else we can think of how they did us wrong that one time. When we do that, then we're beginning to actualize Jesus' high call ourselves. We start living by his vision and are very much undeterred by the world around us. We begin to understand and experience what St. Paul was saying in his letter to the Romans today, that when we die for the Lord, putting to death the desire for vengeance, putting to death that search for restitution, putting to death the need to be proven right, it's then that we are the Lord's. We too become lost in love, lost in the love of God.